it's either emotional in some way, so customers have a strong visceral personal reaction to it, or it's so useful that they recommend it because it is incredibly, incredibly helpful to, to other people. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we provide an insider's look into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we take a deep dive into the technologies and strategies that have helped companies overcome operational challenges and increase the value of their multifamily investments. So without further delay, let's get into today's discussion. Welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm Mitch Fanning with RentSync, formerly LWS. And joining me today is Jay Bear, who many of you might know as that inspirational plaid wearing uh, keynote speaker who also happens to be a trusted advisor to some of the world's most iconic brands. And of course, if that wasn't enough, Jay is also the author of six best-selling books, including Utility for Real Estate, which we'll be talking a little bit about today. Jay, how are you doing today? Mitch, thanks very much. Delighted to be here. So one thing I, I left out in that intro was that if, uh, if we can remember that far back, 2020 has been... Uh, one of those years, it felt like it's been, it's gone on forever. But um, <laughs> yeah. you also did the keynote at the, uh, at our event in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to be back. It's been too long. So as I mentioned, kind of in the intro, we're going to talk a little bit about how real estate professionals can, you know, build trust and create useful marketing, you know, help versus that sell mentality. And, and given, uh, you know, the situation we're in with COVID, I think it's very timely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we dive in, I kind of I want to start maybe in a in a kind of peculiar uh, place and and ask you a little bit about your grandfather's license plate, which says it's oh, yeah. Oak, and yeah. I, and I, I I saw that in a video yeah. on your website, and it's you know according to your video, it's 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 on your fireplace mantle. It's actually I have it right here. Um, it's I'm, that that's it. Like literally, that is it. I'm holding it. Uh, it's actually in my office, right in front of me. That sounds like oak, just the way you hit that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually metal, but yes. Uh, yeah, it's right here. Uh, I, I am a seventh generation entrepreneur. My son's an eighth generation entrepreneur. My family has been uh, self-employed since the 1850s. And my grandfather uh, was uh, the owner several generations into it um, of a furniture store called Bear's furniture and carpets in York, Nebraska, which was sort of the furniture destination for that part of uh, the Midwestern U.S. and farmers would come in, mostly farmers, would come in from miles around and that's where they'd go to buy their furniture. Well, this slogan, It's Oak, has been the the family furniture store slogan for almost all the way back to the beginning in 1850. And here's why. Turns out that in the early uh, days of sort of the furniture biz in the United States, what would happen is unscrupulous furniture retailers would create a dresser or a a bed, what have you. Of course, everything was handmade at that time. And they would make it with uh, less expensive wood and they would just paint it or stain it oak color. And then they would fill it full of uh, buckshot or some other kind of material to make it feel heavy because a lot of times people would buy furniture essentially based on weight. Like if it's heavy, it must be good because Oak is a very heavy and dense grained wood. So our slogan was all the way back. If bear says it's Oak, it's Oak. 
if bear says it's oak, it's oak. Uh, and so that was my grandfather's license plate. It says it's oak right on it. Uh, and I really like that approach. I think it speaks to the importance of trust. And as somebody who, who was in the professional services business almost my entire life, that's really all I have. Like, I don't make anything. I don't know anything really. Uh, you know, it's not like I can like, you know, build a plane. Uh, what I have is that people trust me to help them build their business. That's all I have. And so I sort of feel like if bear says it's Oak, it's Oak is sort of like, if Jay bear says it's good content marketing, it's good content marketing or something. Right, along. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. So, yeah. I mean, trust obviously is a, is a, is huge. Now in that, other, in that video, you also claim, and it was kind of, this is what also resonated with me that yeah. there was two ways to succeed in marketing today. Mm -hmm. You can, you can be, uh, either proportionately or disproportionately, uh, emotional mm -hmm. or you can have, you can be massively relevant. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to also hear more about that. Would you mind kind of elaborating? Well, I mean, one of my favorite sayings in the history of business is from Robert Stevens, who's the uh, founder of Geek Squad, the services arm of right, Best Buy. Right. And, and Robert once said that advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because if you're trying to build your business, and most of us are, yes, you could pay to do that, but that is probably not a good long-term solution. Advertising attention continues to fade away. Advertising fees on a per impression basis continue to go up in many cases. I mean, it is possible for sure. And there's lots of examples of people doing it well, but it's a tough road to hoe. Ultimately, the audience is the algorithm, right? The audience decides what marketing is effective and what marketing is ineffective. And the best marketing is the marketing where the customer's really power. They become volunteer marketers. Certainly that's true online with clicks and shares and referrals and dark social and, and all of that. And then the question becomes, well, all right, well, how, how do you turn your customers into volunteer marketers? And, and typically it's just that. It's either, it's either emotional in some way. So customers have a strong visceral personal reaction to it or it's so useful that they recommend it because it is incredibly, incredibly helpful to, to other people. I talk more about that premise and, and sort of word of mouth and how it works in my, my newest book, which is called Talk Triggers. Yeah, again, I, I said I was gonna go off script, but I didn't think I was gonna go off script uh, this early. Um, again, I'm, I, I'm kind of from the kind of B2B space uh, and you know, being, rinsing being in multifamily, uh, I don't have a background in it, but one thing I've noticed specifically when it comes to, you know, the situation we're in is, is that keeping your tenants and renewing, uh, is, is probably has always been important, but almost is just as important now, if not more yeah. important than yeah. it has ever been. Uh, and it really comes down to that, you know, that, that, you know, providing a, a good resident experience uh, throughout the uh, the leasing uh, the leasing stage and also you know the renewal stage as well. So it's it's kind of interesting. It's you know it's always been important zero cost marketing you know word of mouth. But uh, you know in every in every industry specifically you know multifamily or real estate it's it's uh, yeah. it's also important. So yeah, I did a huge uh, multifamily keynote last week for a big organization that has hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of properties under management. And I really emphasized that point, Mitch, that look, you know, you don't really have secret sauce. 
I mean, do you have nice properties? Yeah. You know, do you have nice amenities? Yeah. Are they priced fairly? Yeah. Do you have good leasing staff? Well, yeah. But so do all of your competitors. It's not as if you have this like magic bean that nobody can possibly touch. It is such an incredibly competitive business because in truth, the differentiation at the product or service level is almost non-existent. And so in categories where you don't have an innate product advantage or an innate pricing advantage, the only advantage you can possibly cobble together is an experiential advantage. That's literally the list, right? And, and it's amazing to me how few people in, in property understand that still, right? Like that, that is your competitive weapon is to, is to deliver something to the residents that they don't expect and in doing so, turn them into advocates for the property. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, so switching gears a bit, uh, let's talk about the book. <clears throat> Excuse me. So utility for, for real estate. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, despite it being, uh, you know, published, you know, six years ago, mm-hmm. the, you know, when I was kind of, you know, flipping through it and I was, I was kind of picking certain areas of it to read, it, it really felt um, very relevant even today. Uh, so I guess my first question would be, uh, do you, you know, do you agree with that, of course? And then, uh, you know, why do you think that's the case? Oh, I absolutely do. In fact, my, my agent, and I talked about it the other day, like, you know, the entire utility series, the, the first book, Utility, and then Utility for Real Estate and Utility for Accountants. It's, a, it's sort of a trio. That premise is, is more resonant than ever with, with people because we all know um, that we want to have a relationship with businesses that transcends the transaction. We, we, we want to be able to rely upon them. And, and this idea of coming you know, head first into it and saying, here's my promotion one month free, it, it, it just doesn't work over the long term, right? You've got to do something different than that to break through. And um, it's been really interesting. I've had a lot of resurging interest in those books, in, in the accompanying keynote, et cetera. Although I will tell you that that seems to happen to the books that I write. Like it it makes sense when it comes out and then it, you sit with it for three or four years, like, oh, it actually makes more sense now um, than it did before. Maybe, maybe I should just, maybe I should just put all my projects on pause for like four years and then write them. Uh, maybe, maybe that, maybe I'm writing them too fast. That's the problem. Well, I mean, it definitely is evergreen. Uh, a lot of the things that you speak to, which uh, again is, is a good thing. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I want to kind of drill into is, you know, the first thing that kind of stuck out and this is kind of maybe again, going off, off script, but the word utility, mm-hmm. what, what does that actually mean to you? And specifically like, you know, where did you get that? Where'd you get yeah. that term from? Yeah. Uh, we should, we should say for the listeners, uh, it's spelled Y O U T I L I T Y utility. Yes. Um, and utility, we define it as marketing. So useful that people would pay for it. It's when you are, you're giving customers, prospective customers so much value that if you said, Hey, would you actually give us money in exchange for our marketing? They'd be like, you know what? I would, I absolutely would. That's a big difference between marketing that people tolerate or marketing that people don't hate to marketing that people would actually pay for. It it turns your marketing at some level 
into a viable product. Now, of course, you would not in almost any case actually charge for your marketing, but it, it meets that test, right? It, it's that good. It's that useful. Uh, it's that relevant and current um, that, that people would say, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd give you a little money for that. So, uh, and I came up with it literally in the shower. Uh, I, I, I was like, I need to come up with one word that sort of defines this premise, right? Because marketing so useful, people would pay for it is a great concept, but a terrible book title. Uh, and so I was like, I need, I need something that describes this in a way that can be kind of a hook that people will recognize on site as kind of Jay's premise. And, and it just popped in my head. I love it. Um, a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously that's the cliche. A lot of, a lot of ideas come from, from the shower. Um, you know, are there any companies and it doesn't have to be in, you know, the multifamily space mm -hmm. that you're seeing as a result of say, even again, we'll, we'll just use COVID as an example, because there's a lot of innovation happening that you're seeing uh, are, you're like, wow, that is really useful, uh, marketing. Uh, and it's really apply. They're, they're almost doubling down or applying that, that you wouldn't have expected any, any things that you've seen so far. Like what you hear so far. Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. You know what's interesting? It's a good question. There's not as many companies doing it for the first time since the pandemic. And I think it's because, even though it makes sense, right? I think yeah. it's because utility as a marketing premise tends to take a while. Sure. Right. Because you're, you're winning hearts and minds of prospective customers a few at a time using information and helpfulness. And, and, and you can't really throw gas on that fire. Uh, it, and, and right now, because everybody's a little uncertain economically, most CMOs and CEOs are looking for more of an accelerated pace uh, and, and, and a quicker um, pipeline fill. And so while there are definitely organizations um, that, that are leaning into it, not as many as I would have expected. One of my clients is a marketing automation platform called SharpSpring. Yep. And they specialize in, uh, in agencies. And so they have a program, a utility-based program that, that my team and I actually created called the Agency Acceleration Series, where we got uh, 12 uh, marketing influencers together. And every other week, there's another free webinar, Ask Me Anything, live stream Q&A with Ann Handley and Seth Godin and Neil Patel and Rand Fishkin. And none of it has any fees associated with it whatsoever. The idea is to say, all right, let's bring together this truly outstanding collection of marketing leaders and have them address questions that agencies actually have right now during the pandemic. And it's been wildly successful. Um, so that's one example that we've, uh, we've tried to turn up um, in the recent uh, past present, actually. It's, it's interesting. Um, and I, again, we probably could talk about this. We probably could have a separate conversation or a podcast episode about this, but it's, I always find, uh, and, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of age myself because you know, you, you started showing up on my radar back probably, 2008, 2009, when, when social media was, you know, started to become more mm -hmm. prevalent. Um, it's always interesting how, uh, when something new or there's, there's a change that's occurring, like, like say COVID that people need to pivot, uh, people who, who are kind of doing it, you know, you know, they win, they accelerate. And then people who aren't try to take something that they know or are familiar with and try to pivot 
but they do it incorrectly. So, for example, <laughs> taking taking events uh, and trying to make them virtual um, and and not reimagining what a, a, right. an event would be. Um, they're just trying to take the physical event and and putting it on screen. Uh, and I'm I'm sure we could go down a rabbit hole here, but it's always useful. It's always interesting to see that where you're like, you know, the, you know, the people who are essentially, they're not, uh, they're, they're, they're very few of them that are, they're doing it right. And that's, that's the interesting thing. So maybe I was, that was a digression digression, but, but, uh, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, when we, when we actually, um, and this could actually be a, a tougher question, um, and maybe I'll give you a mulligan on this. We'll, we'll, we'll see in your book, uh, your, your co-author Erica Campbell mm -hmm. described the whole process. Again, it was, it was a really interesting story how, how you and your wife, uh, went through, uh, a prostitute to choose Bloomington, Indiana mm -hmm. as the place to move to from, I, I believe you guys were in Arizona and you That's started, right. yep. guys started using, you know, sites like, I believe it was uh, bestplaces.com and to determine kind of the, the, uh, the state, in this case, we're Canadian, so province, and then you guys moved uh, moved to listing sites to kind of determine the, the city or region. Yeah. Now, again, there's you know there there's been a lot of migration from urban settings to secondary markets. Yeah. Um, which has really been uh, interesting to, a trend to follow. Um, you know, but here's the question: If you are a landlord or, or multifamily marketer or even a property manager mm -hmm. in a secondary market, you know what what marketing strategies or tactics would you think about em employing or, or using from say the you know your book or just in general, yeah, uh, to attract tenants who might be thinking about leaving the big city? Yeah, I mean it's the exact same, right? It's answer all the questions and. And the questions are not necessarily about inventory, right? So a personal example, I'm doing it again, right? So my wife and I are thinking about um, uh, our kids are in uni now. And so it's like, all right, maybe it's time to get a, a second place somewhere else, especially, you know, times are not um, uh, great in the U.S. <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, and so we've been looking at uh, properties in uh, San Miguel de Allende in, uh, in central Mexico. And there are a ton of residential um, real estate companies there. It's a big uh, popular area for American and Canadian expats. And so there's lots of, of English first um, uh, agencies there, but there's really only one that has any information other than these are the properties that you can buy. And this particular agency has descriptions of each neighborhood. It's an old colonial city. And so a neighborhood might be two streets, but the character and culture and, and vibe of that neighborhood could be manifestly different than the neighborhood right adjacent to it, even though it's very, very close together. Yeah. And so understanding the neighborhoods and how they differ and where you might want to live versus the other place is indispensable information, indispensable to me. And I think to many buyers, but there's only one agency that has any of that information available, period. And so if I was in anything with regards to rentals or sales, it doesn't matter. I would say people, people are going to care about the market first, way before they care about individual properties. So the first thing you got to do is just tell them the truth about the market, right? Like, um, you know, when, 
what part of town is the part of town that you might want to be in if you're this kind of person? And what about the schools? And what about the shopping? And what about the restaurants? And what about the culture? And what about the, essentially, you need to be the Visitors Bureau and the Chamber of Commerce and the Economic Development Commission. So often people in real estate say, well, there's all those other sites. The government will take care of that. The travel bureau take care of Don't rely on those guys to educate your prospects. Why would you think that they're better at digital marketing and customer education than you are? That's ridiculous. I can tell you, many of them are my clients. They suck at it. Do not let somebody else be in charge of educating your prospect. Yeah, in this case, that uh, that agency or you know the the people involved in that in that uh, space, you know, even multifamily, they, you know, Central Mexico, that's that's a very almost a niche within a market. They yeah. could essentially own that niche. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, again, when when you were talking, very stuck in that middle of the funnel, right? They're not coming up mm-hmm. to the top of the funnel and kind of you know bringing it out. To, so Look, the, the reason it's called middle of the funnel is that there's something before it. And, and why would you yield that to someone else? Yes. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it's a great point. It's a great point. Um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, now you're talking, but it makes me want to actually move to central, central Mexico. <laughs> okay, <laughs> together. Well, timeshare. <laughs> so, so thank you for that. That was a, uh, you know, I didn't, didn't mean to put you on the spot, but that was, uh, that, that, was, was, well, that was well played. You didn't, you didn't have to use that mulligan. So <laughs> now, you know, you know, again, we're want to kind of be uh, careful of your time here. We're going to, you know, as we come to a smooth landing here, we want to kind of move into a, what I'd call a quick fire round, which actually I think, you know, is my favorite part of the, of the uh, podcast episode. And so cool. what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you, you know, five questions and I'll give you a, I'll give you 60 seconds to answer. Um, so Jay, are you ready? Am I? Am I ready? Uh, yes, I'm as ready as I'm going to get. I'm, I'm as ready as I'm ready as I'm going to get. Yeah, that, go ahead. That was that wasn't the first question, but you you nailed okay. that one. Good. <laughs> All right, number uh, question number one: Your favorite app or tool, and why? Pre-pandemic, I would have said TripIt because I used to travel 200 days a year, and I used it every single day, all the time. Now that I don't travel, maybe CoSchedule. Um, a terrific application that we use in the company to help manage social media, content creation, uh, marketing process, improvement, et cetera. Excellent. Uh, question number two, what's one thing you wish your phone could do? I wish Siri actually worked like it was supposed to. <laughs> yeah, that's well played there. Um, what's question three, what's one thing that has influenced your life greatly? Probably starting the blog at convinceaconvert.com when I founded the company by myself in my bedroom in 2008. I started writing it, writing every day, and the blog got popular, which created the first book deal, which created the speaking business, which created, which created, which created. So if I hadn't started the blog, uh, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, I definitely uh, read a few blog posts from you. I'm going to quickly, uh, quick tangent, uh, and this could, this could be a quick fire question. Do you think... Uh, do you think podcasting is the new blog? Mm, good question. Um, I mean, in a way, yes, but the audience mechanics are a lot different because obviously podcast episodes are longer and the relationship with the audience is more intimate because reading something um, is, is one thing, you know, whispering into somebody's ear is a different thing. So um, yes, I, I would say that, that, 
is a well-constructed comparison, but it's certainly not a, uh, exactly apples to apples. Sure. I get that. Uh, next question. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I think that people, you know, give me credit for being successful in this industry or whatever, and that's great, but it's really not at all me. Like we have an incredible team at Convince and Convert. There's, you know, 15 people um, in the core and then another 15 in sort of the second concentric circle who are supporting me every single day. And so without them, there there is no me. So uh, I just take all the credit. Team is important for sure. Next question is, as a result of COVID, what have you changed your mind about lately? Uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I would say travel, right? So I traveled 200 days a year for 16 years in a row. Um, and then to go to literally a screeching hall, I haven't left this town, not, not via car, not via plane, not via boat, not via train. I haven't gone anywhere since first week in March. Uh, and I thought that would be a huge challenge for me. And it has been a little freaky, um, psychologically, but I, I really have grown to appreciate not traveling. I, I guess I would tell you, Mitch, that I didn't realize how stressed out it was making me until I had to stop. Yeah, it's interesting. And maybe I'll kind of ask you on a follow-up to that. One thing I've asked people, uh, you know, who are in our industry specifically is, you know, what's one thing, uh, that has been, you know, obviously there's been a lot of things that, you know, businesses and people have, have suffered in, in greatly, obviously as of, you know, due to COVID, but what, what's one positive thing, uh, that's occurred that you, you may continue with, uh, you know, once we, you know, once the vaccine has been, uh, deployed. Yeah. I think some of it is keeping up with friends, uh, because you don't have as much uh, pull on your time. Right. And so, that opportunity to, to have more leisurely phone calls and Zoom sessions and things like that with friends who are not in your town, who are not in your sort of bubble, quote unquote, um, definitely that. And so the other thing is not having to have conversations with the pizza delivery guy. It's like, man, you can just leave it on the step. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I actually, um, it's funny. I, I uh, picked up some takeout uh, a couple weeks ago and they were, they were driving. I was driving up and it was almost like a, a drive through I'm like, you know, they have to continue with this because, you know, I would have to get out. It wasn't, you know, so I'm, you yeah. know, certain, oh, certain yeah. things they, they should just, you know, start, you know, they should recognize that this is uh, again, customer experience. So definitely listen, um, where can people find more, uh, about you and, uh, and what you're up to on the interwebs? Lots of places. I'm not hard to find. Our main site is convinceandconvert.com. Uh, that's our main blog with thousands and thousands and thousands of articles and research papers for, uh, marketers and, and business owners. Uh, my podcast is called social pros all about how large companies, uh, manage social media success, uh, day to day. And my personal site for speaking and such is jbear.com B A E R. Perfect. I'll put all of those in the show notes and, uh, as well as the uh, link to your book. Um, Jay, uh, listen, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure. Great to reconnect. I really appreciate the opportunity. Good talking to you. All right. Until next time, keep swimming. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rentsync.com slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in this show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's this week's episode of Sink or Swim. 
Don't forget to join us next time for another jam-packed episode. Thanks for listening.